today, February the 5th, and this is your morning briefing from The Economist. Coming up, catch up, China and Russia's limitless friendship and the Winter Olympics opening ceremony. First, the week in brief. Following a meeting between Xi Jinping and Vladimir Putin, China and Russia's respective leaders, the two countries issued a joint statement opposing further NATO expansion. The two countries, the statement said, were, quote, seriously concerned about AUKUS, a defence alliance between America, Britain and Australia. It stated that China and Russia's friendship had, quote, no limits. Beijing hosted the opening ceremony for the Winter Olympics. Dinajir Ilamajan, a Uyghur skier, appeared as one of the two final torchbearers in what some see as an attempt to undermine international criticism of the government's treatment of ethnic minorities. Several countries' diplomats have boycotted the Games because of China's human rights abuses. Mike Pence, the former Vice President of America, said that Donald Trump had no right to try to overturn the election. It is his strongest rebuttal yet against his former boss. Meanwhile, the Republican National Committee voted to withdraw all support for two of its own lawmakers, Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger, who sit on the Congressional Committee investigating last year's Capitol riot. GoFundMe, a crowdfunding website, announced that it will withhold millions of dollars of donations to the, quote, Freedom Convoy, a group of thousands of truckers protesting against vaccine mandates in Canada. GoFundMe says that the demonstrations violate their terms of service because of police reports of violence. Over the last week, protesters in Ottawa have flown Confederate flags and swastikas and clashed with locals. Shares in Amazon leaped by 13.5% on Friday, adding $190 billion to its market capitalization, a record one-day gain. It came after Meta, Facebook's parent company, suffered the sharpest single-day loss in stock market value by an American firm. Overall, Wall Street recorded its best week of 2022 after a topsy-turvy start to the year, with the S&P 500 climbing 1.5% and the Nasdaq Composite by 2.4%. Iceland said it would end commercial whaling in 2024. Demand has shriveled since Japan got back into the business in 2019 after observing a three-decade moratorium. Icelandic whalers made just one kill in the past three years, despite quotas allowing for much larger catch. Only two other countries, Japan and Norway, permit the practice. American non-farm payrolls swelled by 467,000 jobs in January, despite the Omicron surge. Analysts had expected about 150,000 new hires. The November and December figures were revised upwards by 709,000. The unemployment rate climbed only 0.1 percentage point from the month before to 4%. America's strong labour market bolsters the Federal Reserve's case for raising interest rates soon. And word of the week. Degagisme. Noun. The French keenness to evict any leader they vote into office. 
And now, here's today's agenda. Cannabis to treat long COVID. Britain has granted a licence to researchers to study the therapeutic effects of cannabis on patients with long COVID-19. It is not such a wild idea. A recent study suggested that cannabis compounds prevent the virus from entering healthy human cells. Drug Science, an independent scientific body running the test, says that long COVID shares many symptoms with other post-viral conditions that seem to respond to cannabis, including exhaustion, pain, fluctuating blood pressure and a reduced ability to exercise. Patients on the trial will be offered daily doses of an oil form of cannabis that contains 5% cannabidiol, also known as CBD, and only 0.2% tetrahydrocannabinol, the drug's main psychoactive compound. Patients will log their responses, and if this small-scale trial involving just 30 people is successful, a large-scale randomised controlled trial will follow. Only after a more rigorous second trial will it become clear whether it's high time cannabis was prescribed to COVID patients. The African Union, two decades on. Hopes were high with the establishment of the African Union two decades ago. In place of its disbanded predecessor, the Organization of African Unity, the AU aimed to resolve the continent's wars, ease the flow of trade across its borders, and let Africa speak with one voice in world affairs. Its record has been mixed. The African Continental Free Trade Area, which took effect last year, is a genuine, if incomplete, achievement. But the task of silencing the continent's guns has rarely felt more daunting. A brutal civil war rages in Ethiopia, where the AU's annual summit begins on Saturday. Jihadist violence persists in neighbouring Somalia, and across a wide belt of the Sahel. And coups, which thanks partly to the AU had become much rarer, are making a comeback. The AU, founded on the principle that Africans cannot be indifferent to their neighbours' suffering, has done too little to confront most of this. Building the future of cities Concerns over climate change and social inequality as well as all the anxieties spawned by the pandemic, loom large over the world's cities. How might the architecture of the spaces humanity How might the architecture of the spaces humanity inhabits allay these challenges? On Saturday, architects, authors, designers and more convene in the Solomon R. Guggenheim Museum in New York for the third edition of quote, The World Around Summit. Their task is to rethink and reimagine the built environment. Among those invited are Tadao Ando, a Japanese self-taught architect, Beatrice Galilee, a curator, and Amitav Ghosh, an Indian writer. Plans for new developments will be revealed and research projects launched. Discussion topics include digital strategies to combat homelessness and the emerging interest in geodesign a method of simulating the impact of design proposals before building work begins. The programme invites public participation. Numerous sessions will be streamed live on YouTube. France's Rugby Hopes The past decade has been a miserable one for French Rugby Union. 
the national side, which won four Six Nations championships in six years from 2002, has failed to win a single title since 2010. Yet France is the bookmaker's favourite ahead of this year's tournament, which begins on Saturday. The team now features several of the youngsters that won the World Under-20 Championships in 2018 and 2019. Last year it won its first away match in Australia in more than three decades, and its first victory against New Zealand in 12 years. England's combative coach, Eddie Jones, argues that Le Bleu have no excuses not to finish top of the pile. The bigger prize for his French counterpart, Fabien Galtier, remains the 2023 World Cup, which will be held on home soil. But emerging victorious in the Northern Hemisphere would put the rest of the world on notice. Weekend Profile Miko Martikainen, Snowman Miko Martikainen is obsessed with skiing and with having the right stuff to do it on. As a boy in Finland, he would cry when the first spring rains came to melt the freeze. He is now the world's leading snow consultant. His clients are ski resorts, indoor snow domes and the biggest snow event of all, the Winter Olympics. Quote, When I was growing up, the winter arrived in mid-October and it would stay cold until May, the 64-year-old says. Quote, but around 2000, things began to change. At 25, Mr. Martikainen was tapped to coach the Finnish Alpine ski team. He resigned after two years. As snow conditions worsened around the world, he spotted an opportunity. He began talking to physicists and geographers, hydrologists and meteorologists to learn about snow. Quote, if you love snow, says Mr. Martikainen, it is natural to want to organise snow. For those in the business of skiing, snow is not a natural phenomenon so much as a commodity. The sport accounts for over half of all Winter Olympic events, yet the average February temperature of host cities has risen from 0.4 degrees Celsius in the 1920s to 1950s to 6.3 degrees Celsius in the 21st century. That is why every Winter Olympics since Lake Placid in 1980 has relied on artificial snow. Snow can be made in machines that take water, mix it with compressed air and blast it into a mist of tiny droplets that freeze. But they only work well below certain temperatures. Mr. Martikainen has pioneered a technique of quote, recycling snow by harvesting it and storing it. Before the Sochi Games in Russia in 2014, he stockpiled nearly 1 million cubic metres of it. Beijing, host of this year's games, is plenty cold enough for snow, but so arid that it gets less water than South Sudan. Mr. Martikainen recommended that the organisers combine snowmaking with snow recycling, which uses much less water. But they opted to rely on fresh artificial snow. 400 machines will churn out at least 4 million cubic metres. Quote, Maybe the idea of ecological snow was not their priority, or maybe they didn't trust the idea of storing snow, says Mr. Martikainen. The thinking was very conservative. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Marianne Moore, who died on this day in 1972. Omissions are not accidents. That's it from the Economist Morning Briefing, available every weekday and on Saturdays. 
You can hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, by searching for The Economist on your podcast app, or by asking your smart speaker to play the latest Economist podcast. And as a subscriber, you have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app on your mobile device to start listening.